This FDNY Pro Podcast is brought to you by the FDNY Foundation and its partners to share experiences from the field, best practices, and lessons learned with first responders. Learn more about our mission and how you can help support New York's bravest at fdnyfoundation.org slash pro. Welcome, listeners, to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. This episode marks a milestone for this show. It's our 50th episode. The mission of all of our guests who participate in this podcast is to help save lives and offer resources to their peers in the public safety community. So today, in the spirit of this mission and to celebrate our accomplishment, I'm going to revisit some highlights from the previous seasons. Our first episode aired in April of 2016. We kicked off with Dr. Dario Gonzalez, FDNY's Office of Medical Affairs Physician and FDNY Representative for FEMA and USAR. At the height of the Ebola outbreak, Dr. Gonzalez went to Liberia, where he provided direct patient care to Ebola victims. According to the CDC, the 2014 to 2016 Ebola epidemic was the first and largest epidemic of its kind, with widespread urban transmission and a massive death count of more than 11,300 people in Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone. The epidemic took a devastating toll on the people of West Africa. Ending it took extraordinary international effort in which the U.S. government played a major role, and as our own Dr. Gonzalez described in our interview, he was determined to help when the call came in. The decision was made on a contact call from AmeriCares. They said, would you be interested in going? Your name was given to us. And I said, sure. I said, don't you want to think about it? I says, no, let's go. It was, you know, the biggest healthcare disaster that was looming, really, for the world. His response and professionalism is reflective of all members of the FDNY. And shortly after we published our first episode, we were able to showcase the service and bravery of members of this department on the anniversary of 9-11. We knew when we launched this podcast that each September, we would honor the 343 members of the department who were killed during the attacks on the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001, by creating a historical record of stories told by those who were there. Deputy Chief Janice Oshevsky was the first member to recount her experiences as a then newly promoted EMS captain. During our conversation, she discussed the decisions that guided staging, triage, transportation, and other considerations for EMS operations on 9-11 with vivid and harrowing detail. We were diagonal across from Tower 2, which was the first building to collapse. And all I can say is we felt it before we realized what was going on. There was such a deep rumble that you felt it in your chest and your whole body and you knew something was wrong. So we all stood up, turned to look, and saw Tower 2 coming down. Although it was hard to tell that's what was happening because we were so close. It was, the perspective was such that this is terrible, something's gone horribly wrong, and we need to get out of here now. So everybody turned and ran away from the rubble and smoke and debris that was coming at us. That was the only thing you thought to do was get out of here right now to save your life. FDMY Chief Medical Director Dr. Glenna Seda recalled 9-11 in season one as well by describing oversight that he provided as the attack on the World Trade Center unfolded. So I started walking towards the tower and no more than five steps before a plume of smoke 
came out of the, the top of the building. The top of the building tumbled and then it started coming down. At that point I turned and ran up the West Side Highway into the first alleyway that I could get into and I found about 20 to 30 police officers, firefighters, you know, other EMS providers. We were all hugging the wall and somebody was running past us saying, you're not far enough, you're not far enough. So at that point, we all ran back onto the West Side Highway and started heading north. Our promise to never forget is showcased in other ways throughout the department. As Chief of EMS Lillian Bonsignor described in season four, she makes sure every member of EMS visits the 9-11 Memorial in Lower Manhattan before they graduate from the EMS Academy. Now every probationary EMS class goes on a trip down there and I go with them personally. And we go down there and we, we are in formation and we have a ceremony, we lay a wreath, and then they go into the museum and they get a 45 minute or so presentation about how EMS contributed, how the FDNY contributed to that day. And then they get to walk around the museum and really take it in. Mm -hmm. and, and I have to tell you, it changes them. You know, it goes from a story to something being real, but making sure that we're sharing the story of the sacrifice mm -hmm. is what it means to me to say never forget. In season three, then chief of VMS James Booth reflected on 35 years of experience responding to some of the most significant natural and man-made disasters to occur during his career. They include the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center, the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, and various hurricane relief efforts all around the globe. As chief of EMS, he oversaw 4,300 EMTs, paramedics, and EMS officers. But as he shared with me in our interview, his leadership was fueled by the early days of his career. I really loved being a paramedic on the ambulance. I mean, for me, back of the bus is where it's at. I like where the rubber meets the road when we are actually dealing with patients and putting your hands on somebody in order to manage their medical circumstances. Along with patient care, the FDMY has set the standard for monitoring the health and well-being of its members. Dr. Carrie Kelly was instrumental in getting that done. On March 16, 2018, she retired as FDNY Chief Medical Officer after 37 years of dedicated service. Dr. Kelly began the FDNY program of annual medicals, which is a yearly medical examination that became even more essential after 9-11. Our goal is not to take people off the line mm -hmm. or to stop people's careers. Our goal is to keep people healthy so they have long careers. You can hear more about this and Dr. Kelly's influence in our season three episode. Also that season, we celebrated the reopening of the New York City EMS Museum, which is located on the grounds of Fort Totten in Bayside, Queens. In 2013, the first New York City EMS Museum closed to make way for some much needed construction. In May of 2018, the museum reopened to display how the FDNY's EMS grew from humble beginnings as the nation's very first municipal ambulance service to the busiest provider of pre-hospital emergencies. During our podcast interview, the museum's architects walked us through the process of creating the museum to highlight those who have dedicated their lives to keeping New Yorkers safe. This museum was uh, also an education in certain ways for us. Right. How to take this almost 150 years of history and put it into a 20 by 20 room and organize it so that it was now educational, not just looking at artifacts and old uniforms. Right. And uh, we, we hit the mark. 
By now, it's apparent that the FDNY has a long history steeped in lessons learned that have influenced how our department trains its members to carry out the FDNY mission. Knowing our history is important and helps us build a sense of pride. Through the study of our past, we can better understand the present and plan for the future. So in 2016, for the 50th anniversary of the 23rd Street Fire, we invited retired Assistant Chief Edward Butler and retired Deputy Chief Vincent Dunn to recap fireground operations at this historic fire. Twelve members of the FDNY made the supreme sacrifice at this structural collapse. It was the largest loss of life in FDNY history until September 11, 2001. I vividly remember that floor of the drugstore dropping in front of our feet while we had that hose line stretched in there uh, an hour or so after the original collapse. I really recall seeing that terrazzo floor, the whole thing fall right into the flaming fire. And I'm saying, my God, if we were up another three or four or five feet, we would have just followed those other 12 firefighters. There's no question about it, yeah. And one thing, you know, I always try to explain how the terrazzo collapse. Those wooden beams underneath that terrazzo floor, which is, it was five inches of cement topped with marbleized chips, polished. It's a floor you find in churches and restaurants. But the wood beam supporting that five inches of floor, concrete floor, and terrazzo on top must have all been burned away because I never saw a floor go down like that. On August 2nd, 1978, 12 FDNY firefighters plunged into a burning wall-bound supermarket when the bowstring truss roof collapsed at the center of the store. Six of the firefighters made the supreme sacrifice. In season three, then-retired FDNY Captain Howard Vinetsky, who was working in Rescue Company 2 on the day of the fire, talked about the event. He was inside the building when the collapse occurred, impressing upon him the immeasurable lessons learned. He started walking back towards us, and when I saw him, he was bloodied on the head, all disoriented, and when I saw him, I said, where did you come from? You were supposed to be on the roof. Where'd you come from? He couldn't answer. Because of this fire, all FDNY members are now taught from probationary firefighter school on the dangers of bowstring truss construction. Also on the topic of training FDNY members, during season four, Lieutenant Kate Frawley walked listeners through some of the types of simulation training FDNY EMS members receive. As we discussed in the episode, the use of high-fidelity simulations in EMS training improves the patient care of the most life-threatening emergencies because this type of training fosters development of teamwork skills and critical thinking all while operating in a controlled environment. As real as we can get this, you're safe, your partner's safe, mm -hmm. and because you're practicing as a, as a medic student, you're not hurting the mannequin if, let's say, you don't get the IV on the first try. Right complete safe zone to make those mistakes mm -hmm. so we can right. we can correct those mistakes and going forward you'll be able to complete any skill without injuring yourself your patient your partner mm -hmm. and you know being a very effective provider being tactically proficient is only one component of operational readiness in season three we gave listeners an inside look at how the fdny health and fitness unit prepares its probationary firefighters and incumbent members given the rigorous demands of the first responders job. And that's what we're striving for. That's what we're pushing for. We're not training people to be competent. We're training them to be excellent. 
Mental preparation and training is also critical for optimal performance in high-risk and high-stress environments. In Season 2, the Principal Architect of the FDNY Strategic Mental Performance Initiative described the genesis for adding the mental component to the department's training paradigm. So first let me offer that historically this job, the larger fire service, law enforcement, and to some extent the military, the larger military, has attempted to promote resiliency, but has done so in kind of tackling mental health in a reactive fashion. Like typically when a unit returns home from a deployment, those who are having difficulty reintegrating or transitioning have a number of services that they have access to. And what some leading thinkers now advocate is that it's much better to promote resiliency upfront and address it and tackle mental performance, mental toughness, and develop that in a much more proactive fashion. Often on this podcast, we reinforce training through successful operations. And something I've said on this podcast is the longer you're on this job, the more you realize you haven't seen everything. This rang true in 2016 when a Bronx box was transmitted for a commercial occupancy. While entering the occupancy and on their initial size up, no units had encountered any signage for steel plating and were surprised to find it both on the exterior and interior of the building. During season three, Lieutenant Mike Chiampo, a member of the FDMY since 1991, recounts this challenging operation and highlights how the FDNY successfully overcame obstacles at this fire. So I decided, let's move further back in the store. And when we went back in about another 10 feet, we separated the members again, and we had the same thing. And that's when I knew something was wrong And as a boss, I knew it had to go right to the incident commander, that it was a priority. Rapid fire events are another rare phenomenon that even the most seasoned firefighter may never encounter during their career. And while there is much to learn about what environments and tactics are best suited to avoid them, there are some patterns to their occurrences. In season four, FDNY Captain John Sorello shared the signs of an impending event, which structures they are most likely to happen in, and how then-recent jobs in Manhattan and Queens reinforced lessons learned on these potentially deadly instances. It looked pretty standard, yellow flame, not particularly violent looking at all. There was no air pulling into any of the structures. I thought we were getting ahead of it. If you asked me when the event occurred, I would have not said 45 minutes into it, but it was 45 minutes into this fire. It's a challenge for EMS members to recount stories from the field due to patient confidentiality. But in 2017, with the approval of the cardiac arrest survivor, a pro-film was published recounting her story. The film highlighted the chain of survival, which is a series of steps which give a victim of cardiac arrest the best chance of survival. Early CPR is an important link in the chain of survival, but far too often it is administered too late or not at all. Inspired by this young woman's story, FDNY Deputy Chief James Darnowski discussed the importance of bystander intervention in the event of a cardiac arrest in season two of this podcast. The chain's only as strong as is the weakest link, and the first three links in the chain of survival are very public and bystander dependent. Uh, it ranges from early intervention, early recognition, all the way to us arriving on scene and getting the patient to definitive care. The first three links really require that bystander standing next to them to get things moving. Every minute that a patient goes without oxygen or without chest compressions, their chances of survival decrease by 10%. FDNY firefighter Kenny Ruane knows this all too well. 
He was saved by the department he served for more than four decades after going into cardiac arrest just days before Thanksgiving in 2015. During the podcast episode in season one, he talked about the impact of being reunited with his rescuers at the annual FDNY Second Chance Ceremony. This special event reunites cardiac arrest survivors with the paramedics, EMTs and officers, firefighters, dispatchers, bystanders, and other first responders who helped save their lives. I think what you're doing and, and thanking them helps to reinforce that feeling behind people about their self-worth and, and what they're doing. And uh, I'm telling you, it is more important than anything. And if this is one of the things that helps another EMS person do their job even better, you know, it's working. It's making it easier for people to do their job, you know, by seeing what they have accomplished. And it's come full circle. 2019 marked the 25th anniversary of this emotional ceremony in the FTMY, which began with the generous support of the Pinchik family. Listen to the interview in season four to learn more. You meet these people at the second chance ceremony and they're weeping. They're saying, you know, I just, I don't know what to say. And thank you for being part of this. And that's the real gift to, to see these families and the rescuers because it's not an easy job being an EMT or a paramedic. Hosting this podcast has been a pleasure and an honor for me, as well as occasionally emotional. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. I hope you find the FDMY Pro Podcast informative and enriching. Keep tuning in so you can find out who hosts our 100th episode. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest. Twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And when seconds count, the men and the women of the FDNY are there for us, to protect us and keep us safe when the unthinkable happens. No matter the challenge, no matter the danger, our firefighters and EMTs serve with honor, dedication, and bravery. New York's bravest are there for us. Let's be there for them. Your support of the FDNY Foundation ensures that the world's best fire department has the world's best training, equipment, and education. Go to FDNYFoundation.org and help New York's bravest save a life today.